you. Thank you for your giving, and we're excited about what God is going to do. And also, there's a group of people that I want to say thank you to. Uh, we had over 20 people that served at the Western uh, uh, Concession Stand and also the Moberly High School Concession Stand on Friday, so you could give them a great big hand clap. And, and I appreciated them being able to serve. I had two weddings, and and so it has been nonstop as far as a, a weekend and different things like that. But we are excited, and, and I just want to, to talk about this. And so a little bit of audience participation. Everybody, what is this? Very good. And what is this? Okay, so what is the difference between a pumpkin and a coconut? Good catch. I was hoping I could fool you all and that you would think that was a plum, but otherwise... So what's the difference between a pumpkin and a coconut? Size. What else? Color, shape, all that kind of stuff. So, but they're both what? Is a pumpkin a fruit or a vegetable? I really don't know. Okay. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Has, there. So these are both fruits, but they're extremely different. Let me go this way. We, we won't use my fake plum. What is this? And what is this? And so what's the difference between a pineapple or a cucumber? Taste? Fruit? Vegetables? What else? Size? All that stuff. Isn't it amazing? I want to talk about today on our tendency to compare. Because if I ask some of you, some of you would say you like cucumber, some of you say you wouldn't, don't like cucumber, some would say you like pineapple, some would say you don't, some would say you like coconut, some would say you like pumpkins, all those things. And, and just so you know, in regards to pumpkins, in two weeks, on the 16th of October, uh, we are going to open up, we've been growing a pumpkin patch, as I shared on Father's Day, and uh, we are going to have all the families will be able to go after service and, and get a pumpkin for their family, and we're really excited about that. So mark your calendars the, the 16th of October, following service. Uh, we've got all kinds of pumpkins to be a blessing to you. And, and I learned. I didn't know pumpkins started green and turned orange, so I learned that this year. Uh, just one of those facts if you watch Jeopardy. But anyway, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, and then I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 6, and pray and, and jump into the message. But it says, verse 12, Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. And I love what he says here at the very end. How ignorant. And ignorant is not stupidity. Stupidity is knowing something and not doing it. Ignorant is doing something but not realize you shouldn't be doing it. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are responsible for our own conduct. Let us pray. Father God, I just thank you. And Lord, as we continue to learn about humility, Father, that Part of humility is we don't have to compare ourselves with anyone. The only person that we need to compare ourselves is the mirror of the reflection of the Word of God, that we need to compare our lives to, to Christ, Father, to become more like Him. And Father, I pray right now, 
whether people in any level of life, any past experiences of life will break out of the comparison trap, Father. We pray that they'll find freedom in that comparison, that we don't have to compare, we don't have to compete, Father, with those things. And Father, we just desire to know how humility can set us free. How, Father, you bless those who humble themselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. The reality in our lives, we equate being first with being the best. That's the way culture, that's the way society is. That, that we in our, our lives are constantly comparing ourselves whether we walk into a room where there are other people, we're scouting out, we're looking, seeing how we measure up to everybody else. We walk into a business meeting that we attend, we see where certain people are sitting, how people are dressed, what the titles are, are they commanding the room. We go to a party just to socialize, and we're looking at the size of presents that somebody else brought in, or what we didn't bring in, or what they've got in the party, what it looks like, and and we begin to compare what their party was like to our party. We start comparing our conversations that, man, they seem to be really eloquent in their conversation. They seem to be really intellectual in their conversation. They seem to be really knowledgeable about sports, all those things. And we always go into that trying to find ourselves asking when we walk into a room, even like when we walk into church, where do I stand? Am I ahead? Am I behind? Am I above? Am I below? Am I sort of cruising in the middle? Am I under the radar? Am I over the top? And this tendency to compare has an immeasurable impact on all our relationships, current, future, past relationship. And the comparison trap can ruin even the best of relationships. I want you to realize what you have is good. What you have, especially in America, is good. Do you realize that if you make $38,000 a year, that you are in the top 1% in the world's wealth? That you are in the top 1% of the world's wealth. And so what you have is good. And yet you start looking around, you start comparing, and you think, wow, he seems way more attentive than my husband. She encourages me even more than my wife does. Look at those kids. Man, why can't my children behave as well as those kids? Come on, say amen. And what is all that for the Christian? That's Satan tempting us to take something good and literally compare the joy out of what we have in our life because of comparison. Because let's be real, you don't know how attentive that guy really treats his family when he's not out in the public. And you don't really know how often that encouraging woman that talks about her husband loves to gossip with her girlfriends about her husband. And you really don't see those kids when they're on that sugar high. Come on, say amen. You see, listen to this. You see with a limited perspective, but you have not experienced the truth. You see, but you have not experienced the truth. So the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at people. And next week, we'll close this series down, and that I'm really excited about the next, the next series, which is contending for the supernatural. 
that will launch on the 23rd of October. But, but we've been looking at Jesus, because Jesus is a people watcher. And, and the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at different people. We looked at a child and how a child taught us about humility. We looked at religious people and how they taught us about humility. And, and, and I thought it was interesting because uh, we'd put this message together a little over a month ago. And uh, yesterday I did two weddings. And, and so I, uh, Luke chapter 14, if you turn there, I'm going to read there in a minute. But Jesus was a people watcher. So naturally, over the last two days, having two weddings, I was watching people. And in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14, it's interesting, just to sort of give you an overview, people are walking in into the dinner party, sort of maybe the reception, and Jesus begins to observe them milling around, and, and it's interesting because when I read this in a minute, you're going to see that, that they were sort of trying to get near the most coveted seats. And in that day, they'll put a picture up there, that that day, during the wedding feast, they would put the tables in a U-shape. The Last Supper was probably possibly in a, in a U-shape, depending on how spaced they out. And the host would place the most important guest at the, at the top of the U, or, or the, that, that cross piece, at the head table. And then the head table would set the most important people. Then as you rolled around to the ends, it went from the most important to the least important, or less honored guest at the party. And, and just like now, People take their seats and they assess their importance of everyone else in the room based on the seat that they take. And we look at how people sit. Well, the people that got the 50-yard line seats at the football, well, they're probably better than we are. And they're more important than we are. And they're higher on the scale than we are. And it looks like they have and they deserve that spot in life. And so this is the, the atmosphere in the room that, that people are trying to sit so close to the top spot because they thought they deserved that top spot. It's sort of musical chairs of social climbers. Come on. You ever seen it? You watch it? It's amazing. And based on what Jesus saw at the party, he shares some, some humility advice I want to unpack today in the next 15 minutes. Verse seven, Luke chapter 14, verse 7. When Jesus, Jesus noticed all that who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. And I love this part here in verse 10. Instead, take... Everybody say take. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you, he will come say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then verse 12. Then he turned to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And, and I think it's interesting, because verse 10 and 11, I don't know if you've ever been to a concert, or you've ever been to like a, a professional sporting event. And they have this moment about five, ten minutes before the game. 
And, and they, they always have like usually two tickets. And they find the person or the persons in like the highest up nosebleed section. And they'll say, guess what? We have picked seats number whatever, whatever in the nosebleed section, the most terrible seats. And guess what? We're going to bring you down center court, front two row, front row, best two seats in the house. Y'all ever seen that? Amen. And right when they announce that, come on, man, well, all our prayers start bombarding heaven. Let me be that guy. Let me go from the top to the bottom. But Jesus is saying, hey, it all goes back to this daily greatness quiz that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks in the area of comparison. Will I exalt myself and try to get first place? Or will I humble myself and decide to take the lowest seat? Because see, in our world today, we equate being first with being the greatest. First pick, first place, first string, first chair, first class, first team. And all that is the expression of what is thought to be the greatest and the best. And Jesus taught us that greatness listen to me, is not a matter of winning a competition. But greatness is a matter of humbly living, humbly living the life that God gave you to live. Greatness is a matter of humbly living the life that God gave you to live. God is more interested and more concerned with who you're helping across the finish line in the race than who you're ahead of. And I think it's best described in this Olympic moment I want you to check out. This hill taking a toll on a couple runners trying to finish those final 20 yards. Wow. Yeah, you can see what, what a tremendous show of sportsmanship as you've got an athlete who can't quite make it and they've got a team a, a girl from another team trying to help her to the finish line so she can finish the race. That's what, now that's another what the sport one is all well. about. Oh, my goodness. She'll try to cross the finish line. What a shot right here at Lakeman Soccer Park in Cary. But you sacrifice your own position wow. to help another athlete finish what they started. And that, that's a true sportsmanship. There it is. God is not asking, will you get to the finish line before anyone else? God is asking, who are you going to help have cross the finish line with you? That's humbleness. Everybody say humility. Do you humble yourself by taking the lowest place? Because that's really one of life's most challenging questions. You got to think about these runners up here, how much time and effort and everything that, that she put into training. And she could have been at that point, we don't know. She could have been point that maybe there's a four-year window, maybe an eight-year window uh, for some athletes. But all of a sudden, to stop in that moment. And I think that's what Jesus is saying, that, that man, why we're being successful in life. And it's interesting because, because the guy that Paige was talking about, how many of y'all have ever heard of Caterpillar? That's the guy that founded Caterpillar. L.G. Letourneau. And ended up tithing 90%, over 90% of his income. That, that 
God was like this. And here's a guy that was incredibly successful, took the lowest place. And you study the Bible in Luke 14, and I love words, because Jesus did not say, be satisfied if you're given the lowest seat. He didn't say that. But in verse 10, he said, take, take the lowest seat. Make the decision to take the lowest place is very different than tolerating your placement in the lowest seat. See, let's be real, because it's easy to say, you know, all happy, happy to take the lowest place, Vic, as long as I know somebody's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, Vic, you're about, you're in the wrong spot, we want to bring you up to that. But Jesus said, take it. Because what if you take the lowest seat and you have to stay there? And I don't know about you, but me, transparent, I'd be thinking, what in the world am I doing here? Why are they sitting up here and I'm sitting back here? Why me? Why me? Why am I here in the lowest with what I've done and who I am and what I've accomplished when they're up there? And as we grow in spiritual maturity, we typically go through three phases of humility. Everybody say humility. As we consider which spot to seek in life. In phase one, I'm ruled by selfishness. So I strive for the top spot. Been there, done that. I don't do it necessarily in obvious ways, but I may do it in subtle ways. But my mind is I want to sit at the top spot. Why? Because I'm convinced that if I sit at the top spot, it'll make me feel important. The second phase, as I grow in humility, means I'll take the lower spot hoping that it will get me to the top spot. It's my seemingly unselfish path to the top spot. And a lot of us live the bulk of our lives at phase two. We act unselfishly, hoping it will get us what we really selfishly want, which is a top spot, amen? Come on, let's be real. But then phase three, we are equally comfortable in the bottom spot or the top spot because we've realized it doesn't really matter who we think is first because in Jesus's concept the first will be last and the last will be first so it's a little bit of a different aspect but that can't be my motivation because it's at this level if you're in the lowest spot then you're like hey if I'm in the lowest spot then God can use me here and if I'm in the lowest spot then there must be somebody here that can minister to something to me or maybe I can minister to them something that will change their life or change my life because if I was sitting in a spot I shouldn't be sitting in then I would miss what God had for me in that moment instead of comparing an app or, or a coconut and a cucumber I just need to be satisfied with who I am, no matter where I'm sitting, whether I'm sitting in the church, whether I'm sitting in the parking lot, whether I'm sitting in Randolph County, whether I'm sitting in the hospital, whether I'm sitting in a, in a mega church, whether I'm sitting in a small group, that, that, and, and it doesn't matter who I sit by, because I have to believe that God's going to use me or use the person that I'm sitting by to minister. True humility says God can use me right here. Right here, right now. And there's more to it. 
Because when I reach this phase, I also realize that if I'm blessed with the top spot or the highest spot, then God can use me there also. You simply have to say to yourself, God wants to work through me, in and through me right here. You've got to learn, no matter where you're sitting, where you're at, who am I supposed to talk to here? Who am I supposed to reach here? Who am I supposed to touch here? There's something that God wants to do in my life in this spot, no matter where that spot is. And you become equally satisfied no matter where God happens to put you in your life. See, I haven't learned to stay in the third stage and I go in and out of it and I'm hoping where I get in it where I'll just be able to stay in the third stage someday. <clears throat> because the times that I've been in that third stage and what I've experienced is true freedom. Everybody say freedom. Freedom from selfishness. That if I could get there and constantly be there, it would be amazing. Because in our spirit, in our spirit, we don't want to compare. And in our spirit, we don't want to compete. Because when we compare and we compete with each other, it eats away at our passion for what's truly important. And so as I wind this down today, here's the beautiful surprise that God brings. This is the whole message right here. And I'm going to read it because I want to make sure you get it. It is often what seems to be the lowest spot that we find life's greatest blessings. It's often to be what we assume is the lowest spot that we find life's greatest blessing. It's the richest relationships that we have. It's the purest joys. The most profound influences are often found when we're not in the limelight when we feel simply feel free to love and to care and to serve. Listen to this quote by F.B. Meyer. It's why I love it because I'm getting ready to teach Growth Track 101 or Step 1 at 11. He said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we could reach them. I now find that God's gifts are on shelves, but one beneath each other. And it's not a question of growing taller, but it's stooping lower. Let me tell you, when you talk to kids, and let me tell you, the older I get, the harder it gets to do this, but, but let me tell you, when you talk to kids, bend down, stoop down, and look them eye to eye, and it will mean the world to them. A couple weeks ago, I told them a little story about Dakota, who I got to be a fill-in grandpa for. Well, let me tell you what's happening at 11 o'clock. His sister is getting baptized today. Come on, say amen. And then if you're a competitive person, because I'm a competitive person, if you live for the thrill of competition, then you're probably thinking, Vic, you're crazy. Does the Bible really say that? The Bible says if you're motivated by healthy competition, don't deny the way that God wired you. If you're wired for competition, be competitive. And let me tell you, you want to play cards with me? I play to win. 
Just telling you. My, my wife has to try to correct me all the time with our youngest granddaughter because she'll let her win. We were playing Uno the other day, and, and they were double up cheating on me. I won. Beat them both. Seriously. Be competitive about something different from what most competitive people settle for. Be competitive about something different from you being first. Six and a half billion people in the world minimum, and your highest goal you can think of in your life is being first place? It's not a very lofty goal. Because if God wired you to be competitive, be competitive about feeding people who are starving. Be competitive about giving clean water to those areas that don't have clean water. Meredith Fimler, she wrote that down on her dream card. Been praying for it ever since she wrote it down on Mother's Day. I want to provide clean water to those areas that don't have clean water. Be competitive about visiting those who have nobody to visit them. I'm not saying be competitive with people who are trying to help other people, but I'm saying be competitive and, and against the enemy of starvation and be competitive against depression and loneliness and be competitive against sickness and disease and be competitive against no hope. You are built by God to be competitive, so be competitive about taking the good news, everybody say good news, about Jesus to the world that no one else goes to. Be competitive about being the best spouse you can be. And be competitive about being the best parent you can be. And be competitive about the best boss you can be. And the best employee you can be. And the best teammate you can be. And the best coach you can be. And the best friend you can be. Be competitive about things that are truly important and that affect eternity. And be competitive things, and not just about things that transform you, but transform others. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be getting information about a lot of different missions, opportunities to you. And maybe you're not to go, but you're to send someone. I just want you to think about that. But Father God, we thank you. And Father, you're faithful to use those who stop worrying about being the greatest. God, you're able to change the world through those who say, God, wherever you put me, I'm going to do something, I'm going to be someone that makes a difference for you and your kingdom in the world today. Because if I've learned anything over the last couple of weeks, that's the true path to greatness, Jesus. This is how humility handles our tendency to compare and fight for the highest place. Father, I'm going to be set free from that today. I'm going to be set free from that today. And the only thing that I'm going to compare myself is to the mirror of your word, which describes the character and nature of Jesus. I'm going to compare myself to the fruit of the Spirit. Is my life growing and multiplying the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness faithfulness and self-control. That's what I need to compare my life to. Am I being that way to everybody? Those that I know and those that I don't know. 
Maybe you're here right now and you've never asked Christ into your heart. Don't compare yourself to other Christians. They've been in this thing for a little while. But just compare yourself. Labor Day 1990, I was a lost young man. And at that point, the only thing I compared myself was, I'm not going to heaven, I'm going to hell. And Lord, I don't have much to give you, but what I'm going to give you, what I've got left, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my heart. And that's the only thing. Just compare yourself. Compare yourself to the saved person, the unsaved person. Because see, the person you see on the platform, man, I've been doing this for 32 years. But you didn't know the person before. But you see a person who surrendered his heart and surrendered his life. And that's all you need to do. And if you're here right now, you need to surrender your heart or your life for the first time. Maybe the hundredth time. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Because I'm believing this time, it's going to stick. Calling that as not, as though it is that cycle of giving your heart to Jesus, walking away from Jesus, giving your heart to Jesus, walking away, is destroyed right now. And you're just all in. And just pray a simple prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I receive a brand new start. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, or if you have a prayer request, a praise report, man, we want to pray for you. Fill out that Connect card. You can drop it in the black boxes. As you leave, let us know the decision. I'm recommitting my life to Christ. I'm committing my life to Christ for the first time. I want to be water baptized. If you can stay to 11, I'll be teaching growth track, step one. Really would love to have you You join us. If you're not connected, you'll really learn the heartbeat of the church and, and, and share that. But don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself to anybody except this right here, all right? And man, I know God's going to do amazing things in your life. Amen?